So I don't know if anyone has tickets to Hamilton, but I'd really like to see that if you just want to loan them to give them to me if, you, if you're not doing anything else for Thanksgiving. Hamilton is this uh, incredible musical, Broadway musical that was created uh, only a couple of years ago as a result of a biography that was written in 2004. And the Hamilton musical won, tw- won 11 Tony Awards and was nominated for a record 16 Tony Awards. And also, uh, it, it received a Grammy Award and a Pulitzer Prize. And if you want a rags-to-riches story, take a look at the story of Lin-Manuel Miranda, this guy who, who, he went to the White House, he was invited because they thought it was kind of strange that he was writing a, a rap song about Alexander Hamilton. So he gets in front of the whole entire White House, whoever's at the White House that evening, big packed room, and he explains to them that he's discovered the best upcoming rap album, and it would be about Alexander Hamilton. And they just laughed at him. And he said this was the first song on the rap album, and he presented the song, and, 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 they, and, and, and when he tried to rap the words Alexander Hamilton, the whole room kind of burst out in laughter. But by the end of the song, they caught a glimpse of who Alexander Hamilton was. And from that moment, something started to grow and grow and grow until it was this musical that had captured the hearts of America and had inspired politicians who needed inspiration and inspired a lot of people about what it means to live our lives in a new and different way. But, but how is it that, that at the same time Alexander Hamilton, the music, musical, was peaking, the treasury of the United States was taking Alexander Hamilton's face off of the $10 bill. Does anyone remember that? And, and if Hamilton the musical hadn't happened, it's pretty much a given thing that the face of Alexander Hamilton would have been taken off of the $10 bill. And he would have kind of been forgotten as part of the American story. But how do we forget these stories? How do we get the, forget these incredible people? Now, psychologists tell us that part of memory, if you really want to be good at something, memorizing something or remembering something, then you're going to have to be really good about forgetting other things. That, that actually the thing that causes you to not be able to remember the things that you want to remember is because your mind is cluttered with other things and distractions. And so if you really want to remember something, you're going to have to eliminate other things from your memory or, or from your focus. And so probably Alexander Hamilton's story got a little crowded out by the daily news feeds or all of the blog sites that we read or all of the Twitter feeds that we receive or all of the news broadcasts, all the historical stuff that's happened since Alexander Hamilton. And so people tend to forget stories like that. And it takes people like Lin-Manuel Miranda to, to go and read the biography and then to figure out how to turn that into a musical, a rap musical, <laughs> so that it would connect with the new generation. Now, believe it or not, Jesus' story was getting confused only 15 years after Jesus had been crucified and resurrected. Now, there were churches that had been born, passionate, lively churches, and one of them was this church in Colossia, the Colossian church. And you'll know about it from the letter to the Colossians because Paul writes this letter to the Colossians from prison and he writes to them and he says, you know, you guys have really become distracted. I can see that Jesus seems to no longer occupy first priority in your life. It's clear that you've started to focus on other things and and there are other things that are more important than Jesus in your life. And so what it takes is, is it takes Paul to write this letter to the church in Colossia and to tell them 
and remind them about who Jesus is and where Jesus belongs in the story. And also to remind them of the story of Jesus. Because I think a lot of times we just forget, even hearing Julie talk to the kids today about Jesus, at Jesus' birth in a dirty, dirty, dingy manger. When, when you hear that, don't you sometimes go, oh yeah, I kind of forgot. Oh yeah, that's right. That's who Jesus was. So listen to what Paul says to the church, the, to the Colossian church. In chapter 1, verses 11 through 20, he says this, May you be made strong with all of the strength that comes from his glorious power. Now, his is Jesus Christ's glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience. Wait, now, by the way, this is a helpful little verse. I heard someone saying they need patience with a medical thing that's going on in their life. But I actually think you might need this verse at the dinner table at Thanksgiving. So here you go. This is it. Paul's prayer that you will be able, prepared to endure everything, even the Thanksgiving dinner with your relatives, with patience, while joyfully giving thanks to God the Father, who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power, oh, sorry, he has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him, all things in heaven and on earth were created. All things, things invisible and visible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him God was pleased to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross." This is the word of the Lord, and thanks be to God. Now, this scripture lays a foundation, and, and it's, a, it's a beautiful, I mean, it, it's almost like an abstract work of art, if you think about it. This short little scripture talks about the darkness of the world, and it actually refers to the power of darkness. It's beautiful. And it also mentions that, that Jesus Christ was God incarnate, and that actually through the power of Jesus Christ, the glorious power of Jesus Christ, all of creation was created. It lays that foundation, but it has these words, and they're actually, you know, we think that they're Paul's words, but they're probably not. They're probably the words from an early Christian hymn, written by some guy or gal who was an early follower of Jesus Christ, I think of this as like an early, pre, early, early Lin-Manuel Miranda. You know, sitting down and feeling like they need to, they see something about the story of Jesus and they feel like if they can just communicate who Jesus is to the new generation, that, that, that eyes will be opened and hearts will be caught on fire for him. And, and so if you read this text, it actually reads a lot more like a, a song from Hamilton. Listen to the words from this text. Bear with me. Are you ready? I, I, are you ready to come up here and drum, Andrew, if I need it? Okay. 
May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transformed us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation, for in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created in him, through him, and for him. You see, There was a group of people only 15 years after Jesus had been resurrected from the dead that had forgotten that all things were created for him. They had forgotten the foundation of the theology that everything in this whole entire world was created not just by him, but it was created for him. And even in the Garden of Eden, we have that story where Adam and Eve uh, are told to obey the the will of God not to eat from the the, the fruit of the tree of good and evil. Of knowledge of good and evil, that is. Until a snake comes along and says, you know what? If you eat of that, then you too will be powerful like God. That you will be on the same level with God. And you won't have to put God first anymore. And then you find that this brokenness takes place in their life. And then they have these children, Cain and Abel. And then Cain provides this offering. It's not the best that he can provide, but he provides something. And then Abel provides something even better of an offering to God. And, and, and as a result, God seems to be happier with Abel than Cain. You sense this competition between the brothers that one of them wants to be better than the other. And then Cain kills Abel because he wants to be better than Abel. And from then on, you have this story in human history of one person wanting to be better than another person and each of us wanting to usurp God from the throne. And to try to put that crown on our own head. You know, when I went to New York City for Thanksgiving 20 years ago, there was a family that welcomed me into their home because it was a lot of money to travel all the way from Connecticut back to California for Thanksgiving dinner and then fly back again. So, so my brother and I, we stayed on the East Coast and this family invited us to their house right on Central Park. It was, the, it was unbelievable for a kid to go to this house, this apartment. And they were this wonderful old couple, and, and you could tell that they had lived a really interesting life. And they had lots of stories. We were kind of interested in who they were. But then at, they, they left myself and my brother in the front room while they went to go get something ready in the kitchen. And, and my brother pointed over at the shelf, and he said, do you see that statue over there? And I looked, and I said, yeah, there's a lot of them. And he said, yeah. He said, I think those are Emmys. And we couldn't believe it. We walked over to the shelf and we looked at the little sign. It said, Emmys for Excellence in Journalism. So when the couple came back in the room, we pretended that we hadn't noticed that there were like five Emmys on the shelf. (laughs) And, And then we treated them differently. A little bit. I mean, we loved them already, but there was something in us that just kind of revered them more. We felt like they were more important because we saw the five Emmys on the shelf. And what's really messed up about that is that we do that all the time in life. We encounter people who have an Oscar and we say, oh, they have an Oscar so they're more important. Or we see someone who has a Stanley Cup and we think, oh my goodness, that's pretty cool. We kind of want it too, honestly. We wish that we could experience that, the Super Bowl ring or the Commissioner's Trophy or whatever it is, the Breeders' Cup. 
or the, maybe the political office or the CEO or the opportunity or commander-in-chief. Somehow we think that because someone has a title, they're somehow more important than they were before. And somehow they, they have an elevated status, but actually what the Scripture tells us is that all people, all people are equal in their brokenness, that we are all wounded people, and we are all susceptible to the, what is it, the power of darkness. The power of darkness. There was this brokenness that, that God created the whole entire world, just created it through him and for him, and then this brokenness took place. And, and for all of history, there was this concept of this invisible God that the Scripture talks about, that, that somehow, who was this invisible God? How could we come to know who this invisible God was? And then something crazy happened. God was born in Jesus Christ. And suddenly, we came to understand not just the power of God, that God was so powerful that God could do anything. There was no limits to what God could do in the world. And and not just that, that God was so profoundly kind. People hadn't really perceived before that God would be so kind. Or actually that God would be so humble. Or God would be so gentle. Or God would be so, so full of humility and grace and mercy. That when we encountered God, the, the response of God would not be to judge or push us away, but would, be, would, would say, come on, come on in closer. I want you to be close to me. I want to be with you. I want to spend time with you. I want to love you. And I want you to know that you love me. And I want, I want it to be mutual. I want to be real. See, people hadn't really understood that about God before. They had all these notions of who God was. And, and you know, the funny thing about idolatry, the, the, the most clear concept of idolatry, the most kind of distorted, perverse idea of idolatry is where there's this like, you know, golden object that people worship and live their whole entire life for, kind of like an Oscar, I guess. I, every time I see the Oscars ceremony, I hear people say, I lived my whole life for this little statue. It's <laughs> just kind of like, hold on, buddy. But you get it. But then, <clears throat> that's the most perverse, abstract concept of idol worship, that you, would, that you would give away all of your wealth for a little golden calf that you created. It's crazy. But actually, idol worship is when you worship anything that's not God. So there's a lot of people in this world who have a completely, or even a subtly distorted concept of who God is. And so they say to you, I worship God, but they are not worshiping God. Because that's not who God is. They say they're worshiping God, but they're explaining a God who isn't that. There is no God that, that is that mean judgmental God that you described. That just doesn't exist. And in Jesus Christ, you get the clear window. I love what Calvin, John Calvin, not Calvin and Hobbes, but John Calvin, this theologian said that when you look at Scripture, you see Scripture, it's like putting on spectacles that, that push away the darkness and make things, make it so that you can see things. See, when we put on the, the spectacles of Scripture, we're able to see God and, and, and I love how Paul begins and ends this little, actually Paul doesn't begin it. It's that hymn writer, whoever it is. Was it Paul? We don't know. 
But the hymn writer begins by saying, may you be filled with the power. Would you, may you be filled with the strength of his, his strength that comes from his glorious power. But he, he, he ends it with this crazy visual of Jesus Christ on the cross. And the implication is that the power of God and the first place in creation that the scripture talks about, that Jesus takes first place in creation, is not something that, that would be like a trophy on a shelf. And it's not even a political office. That actually this is the trophy of Jesus Christ. If you're looking for the ultimate trophy in life for yourself as well, this is it. It's a trophy of humility. It's the trophy of sacrifice. It's the trophy of love for other people. And that's the thing that, that the actual prayer that you would be filled with the strength that comes from the power of his glorious strength, that's the true prayer of the scripture, that we would be filled with that kind of love. So now I'd like to welcome the bands to come up here. As we, as we reflect on this message of God's love for us and, and the beauty that we have in God's revealing himself to us, that we can actually see God in Jesus Christ. And let us turn to God and, and listen, for, listen for what God is saying to us today. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the people who have uh, labored to write the songs that we sing today, who have seen the vision of who you are, who have uncovered and dusted off the truth of who you are and made it so that we can celebrate you despite the, all the distortion, all the perversions and all the suggestions of who you are, we can actually see you more clearly as the God who created the universe and the God that outserves us and out, is more humble than we can be. There's nothing that we can do for God that God can't do, can't do even better. And so, God, we, we pray that our hearts would be shaped by this word and that, like the words of the hymn that we read today, that we would be thankful in everything and that we would have a thankfulness about us, recognizing that, uh, that all of this is a gift. And uh, we praise you, God. We, we lift you up above all else. We don't take first place. We will not seek the, the titles or, or even be lifted, allow, to, allow ourselves to be lifted up by the titles and the awards that this world would want to impose upon us. But then instead, we would take every honor and every accolade that would try to be put on our shoulders and that we would, we would lift it up to you, God, and we would put ourselves in our rightful place as your children and, and, and those who follow you and listen to you. And, and so, God, we pray that you would, you would help us to see how we, can, how we can minister to the people around us and how we can be the cross to them. How